get this over with, I have to go down and look over the new gear. Okay, Santa. Now let's try out the new elf song I wrote. And remember, it's for Santa. And the one and the two-a, and the three-a. I'm on my own now. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Intermillennium Media Project podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. Dad, can I take off this prosthetic to hide my strange deformity yet? No son of mine is going to go out in public that way. <laughs> okay, I'm Ian Porter. <laughs> I'm his dad, he's my son, and I've once again made him watch television. But it's seasonal television! Yes, we've, for the past three years, we have had holiday themes. And they've been a little bit of a stretch. We did Homes for the Holidays. I like that. And we did a Christmas in Space. And Christmas with Conan. Christmas with Conan was lots of fun, but this year, (laughs) we're, we're actually using a sensible holiday theme here. What have you done to our podcast, (laughs) Father? We are going with the Rankin-Bass Christmas specials. Yes, finally. Not all of the Rankin-Bass Christmas specials, but the three that really did mean something to me and that I remember from my youth. That makes sense, and that's important. I really want to know how you first came, came to know these, because these just have always existed to me. They kind of are. The same for me, really. There was never a time. The, the one we're going to talk about today premiered before I was born. Mm-hmm. And the others were just kind of there as part of Christmas, with the possible exception of the last one, which I kind of remember premiering, and that being such a big deal at my school. that It's, it's, a, it's a Christmas special with the stop motion things and the claymation and it's a new one. It's one we haven't seen before. That made a huge cultural impact for, uh, for grade schoolers. Yeah. And meanwhile, for me, it's like this entire set is just, it's always existed almost to the point where I remember being referenced. Like, I remember people mentioning it and like treating it like I must know it even before I'd seen it. Because it's so ubiquitous, it's assumed you've watched it. Not that you even know of it, that you've seen it. And it's interesting how that, I think that is not as, as reasonable and fair an assumption as it was. When I was a kid, we had, I lived near a big city, so we had, what, six or seven different TV channels. But that was it. And once a year, this would be broadcast on TV, and that was your chance to see it, and everybody watched it. Now, they are still broadcast once a year on the holidays, at least most years they are. In fact, if you're listening to this on the day that it drops, I believe it is airing on your local CBS affiliate tonight. If you've never seen this, now's your chance. But for people like me who have gone to pure streaming, it's fading away. It's not really available on any of the typical streaming services. I actually had to to do some hunting to get copies of these. Yeah. It's an example of how things that were really absolutely were ubiquitous in the culture. That's not the same anymore. No. Meanwhile, though, I see animators reveling in having a new blender 
setting that lets them fake this kind of claymation jittery style with 3D graphics. And I'm seeing the the aesthetic and the reference back to this still hold sway in certain areas online. But that origin point is getting farther and harder to reach. It makes me wonder how many people out there have seen the, for example, the Community episode that was a Rankin-Bass Christmas special parody, but have not seen an actual Rankin-Bass Christmas special. Yeah. For the podcast listeners, this is not, though, the first time we've dealt with Rankin-Bass, though. That is correct. We have seen at least one of their productions previously. The Hobbit. <laughs> Which was not one of their claymation. It was an it was cell animation. Yeah, it is still a story of small people on a long journey in harsh terrain. Oh, that makes for good television. It does. I just kind of, <laughs> yeah, works. There's parallels here. But we're starting. We're doing. We're going <laughs> to do these three rank and best specials in chronological order. So, sorry. Now I'm just picturing Herbie's voice doing the. Uh, you would have not a dark lord, but a queen speech. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just having to let that go through my head, or just give him any of Gandalf's line. <laughs> the wielder of the flame of Ardon. Oh, will love me and despair. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we're doing these in chronological order, which it does mean that we are starting with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer from 1964. Yes. The the classic that packs way more into one runtime than you would think it does. It really does. There are portions of this movie I swore were a sequel. Oh, is that right? Yes. I honestly thought the entire Island of Misfit Toys thing had a longer, more substantial plot line. And was in a second movie. Ah. I now, never remember that it's in this one. I know there was a second Rankin-Bass Christmas special because the creator of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, which was originally in a book, created some additional stories, at least one of which was adapted again into a, uh, a Rankin-Bass Christmas special and probably a song in between. But I don't really... I, I, maybe I saw that sequel once. And I suppose we'll talk about that more in the Revive, Reboot, and Rest in Peace. There was a... Oh, this is why. In 2001, there's a direct-to-video computer-animated film called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Island of Misfit Toys. Ah. Which I never saw, but I must have seen that logo enough time. I guess so. So you thought that whole concept was part of that later sequel. Yeah. Now, the, the Island of Misfit Toys is, is right in the thick of things here. And this is a this is a story that's ahead of its time, it seems to me, in some ways. Yeah. In some ways, it shows its age in there, the way it yeah. resolves things. Mm-hmm. But it's ahead of its time in terms of some of its core message. Yeah, this is, this is about conformity not being the answer and diversity being a key to the success of the group, I'd say. Yes, yeah, it absolutely is. Absolutely. And like, Rudolph has special skills and abilities that help the team and initially the concept of the has to be like everyone else is the problem and that is resolved by accepting and acknowledging what only he can do in the group that is huge it, it also has parallels to other pieces of media i can think of yeah young child is born with special powers and i'm i just i just kept kept seeing rudolph with his nose glowing like that and thinking the x-men theme <laughs> 
It's like, Santa doesn't want you, but this man in a wheelchair has something for you on his team. He's going to fly the, uh, the, their black jet to the next mission. <laughs> We're going to train you at the petting zoo for a gifted reindeer in upstate New York. Yes! And it, it absolutely begins with the, the op- oppression and suppression of differences. Yeah. Rudolph is born, he's the uh, son of Donner, Santa's lead reindeer, and immediately shows this glowing red nose, which, because it is different, is shunned and feared, and his parents try to hide it. His parents express, or, or his father at least, expresses tremendous disappointment on you being who you are and how different you are, but maybe we can hide it. Yeah. And make keep make sure nobody can see it because Santa will never let you be one of his reindeer if he sees this. Yeah, we can't it's also very hard to hide because apparently like the slide whistle is the sound effect of exothermic visible radiation. <laughs> because his nose like glows hot like really big and hot enough to melt stuff at times. It does. This is the there's I I, I want to know something about the biochemistry of rudolph the way he's presented here well santa comes in and also immediately shuns rudolph but he's (laughs) he's not surprised that this happened he's bothered that it happened (laughs) santa's there like covering up the fact that there's some sort of radioactive spill near the area what else i don't know (laughs) he's like bothered by but very much like this is something that is part of who rudolph is that is immediately rejected yes and that's a problem it's and some some of the people we see it's things about what they want and who they are internally sometimes it's external these people are removed from their society for no reason other than this difference and that is the problem that is awful so we've got rudolph the example of it's a physical difference that he has this is how he was born he is he is not nasotypical <laughs> he uh uh and he, but, and, and he is shunned because of that. Then we've got another character, Hermie the elf, who, because he's an elf, is expected to behave in certain ways, expected to be good at certain things and choose a certain career path. And he does not want that. He does not want to spend his entire life, his entire career, making toys. He doesn't seem to have anything against toys or those who want to make them. No. But he wants to be a dentist this preset guideline as to who i'm supposed to be in society does not fit who i am on the inside and i am not allowed to express that about myself right he can't choose a path and he's even saying this will help people we need a dentist up here yeah why can't won't you let me be a dentist because i find it fascinating i think it will help people and i think i could be good at it yeah i'm really scared actually of the north pole here because it is a place that avoids any socioeconomic expansion by providing needed services to its to its citizens slash employees and apparently demands a long sequences of choreographed song numbers promoting the leader of their of their group (laughs) that gets really awkward it's like no no, you're not allowed dental care you work for the state and the state demands you sing the praises of this man (laughs) (sighs) yeah it's you put it that way, it seems more and more like a company town or like a, uh, the the space colony in dystopian science fiction. Yeah, very much so. This is, it gets dark quick. The first thing he came in and did when he saw the, 
and saw Rudolph though was yelled the I am old Kris Kringle you will hear my jingling like <laughs> that song could get a metal remix and yes. the darkness in that tune would come through so we've got Rudolph who's being shunned who the reindeer are calling him names and not letting him play in the reindeer games even though he proved himself to be a really good flyer yeah because of how he was born and then we've got Hermie who is being shunned because of what he wants to do. The, choos- the choices he's, he wants to make about his life. And the two of them realize, they're, I'm never going to be accepted here in Town. so they decide they want to go off and be on their own. They're going to be independent, as Hermie puts it. And they might as well be independent together, so they, they set off. And there's a lot that they're leaving behind, at least a lot that Rudolph's leaving behind. He's leaving behind his parents. He's leaving behind Clarissa. Yeah. The doe with whom he's a, formed a romantic attachment. Yeah. I forgot the really awkward flirting part of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> it's like, ooh, high school flashbacks. But still, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, to me, there's something comfortable about that. If you're, in, if you, if you're a, ki- a kid of a certain age and you see that and it's like, oh, this is supposed to be super awkward. I feel a little better now. Yeah, there's a good point to that. It's like, hmm. It fits. Yeah, they 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 find each other and immediately are best friends. <laughs> and then kind of I kind of recognize that too, the 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 outcasts, the misfits sort of banding together because they understand what uh, each understands what the other is going through. Mhm. And <laughs> Honestly, a lot of characters show a lot of, like, there's a, (laughs) this is classic journey structure in in general, because the next thing they do is meet the next of their companions, Yukon Cornelius. Oh, Yukon Cornelius. He's one of my favorite characters of of any kind. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There's, I'm sure there's no surprise to you, Ian. Oh, no, yeah, the the number of times you've quoted the four uh, items on his shopping list. (laughs) I'm off to get my life-sustaining supplies, cornmeal and gunpowder and ham hocks and guitar strings. Powder and cornmeal, ham hocks and guitar strings. Exactly. The basic shopping list, the, the, the necessities of life. And this is where they kind of coalesce into a crew. Like, I look at this and I'm like, this is a Dungeons and Dragons party. We've got Rudolph the Sorcerer, Herbie is a paladin, Oath of the Dentist, and Yukon is obviously a barbarian, raging <laughs> silver and gold. And Yukon has been on his own as well, except for his dog. So, he has multiple dogs. Oh. So got, you, yeah, that's right. He's got like a pack of five dogs, and none <laughs> of them are standard sled dogs. And he's been alone, but totally by choice, it seems. He, he is the greatest prospector of all, and, or so he proclaims himself to be. And he's out there searching for a strike of silver or gold, or some of each. So he seems to like to be out in the wilderness on his own prospecting, but he's not antisocial and he's happy to travel along with uh, with these other folks, especially when he realizes they kind of need his help because they don't know how to survive in the in the wild, especially when one of the things that they must survive is the abominable snow monster of the north. Yeah, which Cornelius refers to as bumbles. The fact that it's plural is odd. (laughs) Yeah. And at this point, they're kind of like dealing with these challenges. And I'm starting to see like parallels. We've got uh, Yukon acting as the id, being impulsive and loud. 
We've got uh, Herbie considering being a dentist for the sake of the community as super ego. And we've got <laughs> Rudolph as the ego. Three parts of the mind. There's kind of a journey to the West thing going here, but they're not going in a specific direction either. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess every direction is south if you live at the North Pole. Yeah, everything's <laughs> south. Journey to the south. Uh, they're, 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 there's a lot of pieces here where it just it becomes quintessential in that sense yeah. and not just a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer way. And it, it's, it's the kind of story we're wired for, so it makes sense if you're a four-year-old watching it on TV in, the, mm-hmm. in 1970, or if you are watching it today in 2023. And they escape very quickly from the, the grand, terrifying monster. Although I will say, uh, uh, build your own iceberg is the uh, best marketing twist for global warming I've ever heard Yukon <laughs> spout. <laughs> uh... But they land from there onto the island of misfit toys. Yes, after after just wandering through the the land and then wandering all across the sea on their little iceberg, they find the the island of misfit toys. Although talking about their wandering, I want to step back for a moment and talk a little bit about this animation. Yes, it's a, it's an interesting mix, and it all comes together so well. And I don't know if that's just because I am used to seeing this work in this way, having seen this for my whole life, practically, or if they really did capture something special here, because it is this combination of physical stop motion, physical stop motion on constructed sets, certain kinds of lighting effects that they're getting in the backgrounds, especially of these sets, and then sometimes an overlay of drawn animation, of cell animation for things like wind and snow effects and things, and it all comes together in this way that is extremely detailed, and just unreal enough to be right for a fable like this. There's some, yeah, there's some amazing stuff going on. Uh, I'd say watch through, if you're going to watch this movie, look for when uh, the opacity of Rudolph's nose changes, because sometimes they'll switch out the model for Rudolph with one with the light bulb for when his nose will glow in a scene back and forth. His, his nose will like change (laughs) just to be able to fit that because they're wiring a light bulb in which means that when he glows, everything is cast in the red bulb light on a physical set. And it makes it so concrete because he's inter- this puppet with the light is interacting with the other puppets that are physically around it. And it's animated, but it's not animated to a strict beat. Yes, they're animating on the scenes, but if they need Yukon to seem bombastic, they will animate certain of his things choppier or faster. Yes, like, it's kind of gesture drawing of animation. Yeah, there's there's this odd thing where like you can tell they've got characterization just by how frequently they twitch characters and move them around. Early on, when we see Herbie kind of trying to emphatically tell people about who he wants to be, you see his his like jostling around a little bit more. Meanwhile, the boss he's telling this to is very rigid bodied. And there's body language yes. to the figures in a way that you wouldn't expect. Even from some of the best modern stop motion I've seen, the pieces they're putting in there are over deliberate or specifically constructed to do that thing. And this one's flowing those same effects a little bit more. Yeah, and the uh, the gangliness of the young reindeer versus the stolidness of the of the grown-ups. Mm-hmm. It really conveys a lot of character, even with this choppy stop-motion animation. 
they also have a lot of fun with tiny iconography and all of that. <laughs> yes, they do. A well, little hat on top of a reindeer as he's the coach. <laughs> That's the little things that they, 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 they take the extra and make and do, and it fits this. I do wonder about that, because uh, they, they've got the, the coach reindeer, he's got the hat on, and he's got a, a whistle on a lanyard around his neck. How? And occasionally they cut to him and he's got the whistle, he's blowing the whistle, and then he lets it go and it falls again. How does he get the whistle into his mouth without hands or opposable thumbs? Is he just like lurching back fast enough to get it to flip up and then catching it? That must be the case, in which case I want to see that. That sounds like an awesome skill. Yeah. I wanna, that's a YouTube <laughs> video waiting to be made. Dang it, now I'm just imagining Herbie having a very successful, like, uh, dental health vlog. <laughs> He, he gives off that kind of vibe. Oh, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. And one last thing about the animation is some of the background lighting effects with the northern lights mm -hmm. to show their, their trip through this vast wilderness. They sometimes have these long shots where they pull back and you're seeing these characters smaller than we usually see them. And in the background, it's not that detailed or complicated an effect, but the fact that they add this slightly shimmery northern light effect on their backdrop is just incredibly effective in the context of these puppets and these sets that we've become used to. We, we haven't even talked all of this is about the fact that it's being narrated by this snowman, Sam. Yes. Played by Burl Ives, who also does some of the singing in here. A lot of music here. A lot of music here, but he's wandering in and out kind of the, these scenes, but they've got all these trees decorated with a uh, Christmas decor on them. And this, this, very wide set sometimes or very well done forced perspective to make this large tundra feel both empty and isolating or dense and festive when they want and balance between those two is it big and open is it filled with snow drifts is it filled with plain is it filled with decorated trees is it have giant ice spikes all of these there's a there's a wide variety of terrain within the snowy terrain and you talked earlier about how much plot they pack into this 50-some minute special. The fact that they've got a narrator to work with who can help them jump forward in time, who can set scenes very, very quickly, that is very effective, and it kind of helps them keep this story very fast-paced. You've got enough story here for a two-hour feature film, mm -hmm. and they're able to... They're able to fit that all into this runtime without making it seem too overcrowded because they can use that narrator effectively. But we do eventually get to this island of, of misfit toys, which might, seems like it might finally give uh, our, our characters a place to be, some kind of respite from their wandering. And implies that this problem is going on for much longer in Santa's workshop and such. That all these toys have been abandoned enough to create an entire separate secondary kingdom <laughs> santa's elves are a creating life that's a dark concept to ponder there's sentience to the toys so we've got a toy story situation they are there's not enough quality control there's these <laughs> problems or not a marketing department to look at who does want the things they make there's some problems going on here and this is a this entire second kingdom is a example of what's happening wrong over the Rest of the North Pole. Well, I never thought of it that way, but but now that you describe that, it's starting to sound as if this is the basis for a an HBO series about a, a corporate scandal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is that's true. Where are these toys coming from? It's 
where's the other where, yeah where's the other toy shop at the north pole you can think of this is what you get when you force elves who want to be dentists to make toys exactly i will say that their king sounds like he's a brand of computer mouse yes. king moon racer i'm <laughs> yes. like no no this is full of rgbs and this thing is supposed to give you like good quality mouse speed regardless <laughs> of uh your tabletop surface yeah it's aslan i mean moon racer <laughs> exactly it's is he's a a, that a is- crowned lion with wings who flies around the world gathering up misfit toys i just think of i, I just keep thinking of tiny manticore from adventure time I will get my revenge. <laughs> there is something very Adventure Time about yes, the Island of Misfit ve- Toys. Absolutely, there's something very yeah. This is this is the Land of Ooh kind of thing. It's got that going on. Yeah, even to the, your point about you created life. What's the matter with you? Kind of <laughs> exactly. Thinking about lemon grab. Oh yeah, yeah. You know. There's also a lot of questions. Like I know that a constant problem in discussion is uh, what's wrong with the doll. They what's, never say, do they? They never say what's wrong with the doll. That's uh, that's kind of kind of spooky. Yeah, it's it's all internal for the doll. Mm-hmm. It's it's something about her personality, not her yeah. physical. That's the things that disturbing. set you apart are not always things that people can see. Exactly, not always physical. That's an important. Uh, that's an important, important part. Point. And they're they're rejecting just like they rejected Herbie for wanting to be a dentist. They rejected this doll for that. They don't state it there but it's implied by the background in that sense but it's a discussion point that has come up apparently in multiple other places yeah and i like the fact that that they have that ambiguity there yeah it's it's um she can stand for anything that might make someone seem set apart and a a quote-unquote misfit but the whole i mean the 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 charlie charlie in the box that's just a self-identifying personality yeah, that's a who they are on the inside. It's is yeah. being rejected because it doesn't fit what they're told they have to be. And yet he does not. He seems to be. He seems to be distressed by the fact that he's his name is Charlie, and that doesn't fit with what he is and what people want. I always wondered, even as a kid, you could change your name and ask people to call you Jack, couldn't you? But is that who that person is? Yeah, uh, uh, that's a good point. Is is Charlie what someone else imposed upon him, or is Charlie who he is, and therefore that's why he is, yeah. you're he is re- set apart? Yeah, you're required to be a Jack in the Box, but you're not Jack. You're Charlie. That's interesting. That's, that's who you are as a person, and that's a difference. That's a conversation I want to have with Charlie then to find out exactly. about that. Is this what what is it that is preventing you from from the life you want? Mm-hmm. Now we're starting to give therapy to uh, to the Island of Misfit Toys. The denizens. North. Uh, welcome to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, also known as the North Pole Needs Therapy. <laughs> yes. Uh, entire film. Hermie, you want to be a dentist? That's great. We need dentists. Have, have any of the other elves said that they want to study psychology? <laughs> we could use somebody. I mean, possibly Clarice there? She Maybe. immediately accepted someone and she was able to get a bunch of other animals to join her on a song about kind of being compassionate just the idea of her starting up the therapy clinic and helping fix the north pole is a wonderful secondary story I like that i'd like to see that sequel it's like you were on the slate yeah but you should see what my wife does she fixed the place (laughs) (laughs) though it turns out that even the island of misfit toys doesn't work out for them it's not a place where they can be because as moon racer explains to them you know, there are rules and you cannot stay here. And the way Moonracer puts it is you are living creatures and 
this is not a place for you. So yeah, we were talking about how you know, the, the toys have been given life. They've been given sentience, but they're still made in a way that the living creatures can't. This is who <laughs> they are in a different way, and they can't change that in that sense, the way Rudolph can choose to do something or... Cornelius can choose to explore for something, or even Santa can choose to reject Rudolph. Right. We've seen good choices and bad choices, but I guess that's what sets apart a living creature is the ability to make choices, and and being a living creature means you can't live in the island of misfit toys. And I think the way Moonracer puts it is you you or the what's is what is suggested to me by that is if you're alive, you have that ability to make choices. Therefore, hiding is not a solution. Mm-hmm. And they're allowed to stay for one day, but they're still being pursued by the abominable snowman, the Bumble. And the problem there is that the Bumble is attracted to the bright light of Rudolph's nose. And that's why they have been pursued by the, uh, by the Bumble for as long as they have until they found the island. And Rudolph's decision there is he can't let his new friends be in danger, so he will leave and wander off on his own. Even though they are willing to accept that danger to stay with Rudolph and vice versa, Rudolph doesn't want that responsibility, so he leaves them and, and goes off on his own, as you say. And this is where we get the, uh, the jump cut to him growing up. Right. Apparently, it's a long journey for Rudolph in which he has, has grown up and he's met friends and, and said goodbye to friends. And I like the fact that w- along with growing up, that growing up made Rudolph realize that he can't just keep hiding from his problems and he needs to go back home to Christmastown. Rudolph is a interesting version of Prince Hal in that sense. He's got a much nicer pair of Falstaff, but he still also does wander away and then come back to, to try to retake a place within his family. And this was all great stuff to hear and learn as a kid watching this. Mm-hmm. These were important, important lessons expressed in a very effective way. For kids of that age. Oh, yeah. It is kind of funny when it's the, uh, you know, Rudolph growing up understood that he can't run away from his problems. He learned running away from his problems. There's a bit of that, but it's a, I'm learning <laughs> from what I'm doing and what it's wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's what learning is. Oh, exactly. gee, that was a that was a bad move. I should do something different. A, what should I do different? B, is there anything I need to fix based upon what I did before? And it turns out there are things for him to fix. Because after he ran away from Christmastown initially, his father, Donner, set out to find him. And then his mom and Clarice set out to find him as well. And now they're, the three of them are all missing. So it's like, I, I've arrived back home. Where's my family? Missing. Oh, no. <laughs> they went out to find you. I better go find them. <laughs> There's a little loop going on. A little revolving door in... The North Pole. And then Cornelius and Hermie, who have been, have been trying to find Rudolph, show up at Christmas Town and her- learn, oh, Rudolph was here, but he just left to find his family. Also, I, I kind of, I, I kind of want to see the extra journey if the amount of time it apparently took Rudolph where he grew up that much. I want to see the buddy, co- like the buddy road trip movie of just Hermie and Yurkon <laughs> on their way back. It's like Hermie's there, you know, with finding a book and studying dentistry. Yurkon's there continuing to prospect. They're both helping each other out and chatting. That sounds like a fun road movie. It does. And I want a, a Tolkien's Middle Earth type map of Christmas Town and the North Pole environs tracing this journey to see how, how big this is. And uh, 
uh, what, what a journey this was. Turns out Hermie and Yukon have just been spinning in a circle for a couple of years. <laughs> I could believe that. <laughs> thinking they found the trail of something and it's just them from a month ago. Right. And the dogs are just watching them shaking their heads. Oh, absolutely. The dogs, <laughs> the dogs are the smartest people in the room. No offense to either. Yes. Well, what are the dogs learns that by, by pretending not to know what mush means, he can get Yukon to demonstrate and therefore pull the sled himself. Yeah, they, they, they absolutely, we watched them pull that trick more than once. But they arrive and then learn that Rudolph has left to go find his missing family and they go to leave to find Rudolph. So the whole train keeps moving. And this leads to what, for a little kid, was some of the scariest stuff ever seen. Putting aside the fact that, you know, I saw Poseidon Adventure when I was seven. <laughs> and that is the confrontation with... <laughs> I want to hear that you saw this way too old and missed <laughs> yeah. it all, because this is now not scary. Yeah, I didn't see this until I was 23, and it was like, I had no idea what to make of it. <laughs> The, the confrontation with the abominable snow monster in the cave. I mean, Rudolph gets there and the monster is, is picked up Clarice and is about to swallow her. Yeah. Like, what? What is okay, happening? Okay, yeah. And, and Rudolph, he stands up and he challenges the, uh, the snow monster and gets smacked down yeah, for it, but he saves Clarice. Yeah, Rudolph fails the quick time event and gets hit hard. My goodness. But his friends have caught up with them by this point. And, and they see what's going down happen. in the cave, and they saw this happen, so they are, they, they concoct a plan. A convoluted but effective plan. <laughs> yeah, it's, it all hinges upon Cornelius's peculiar, peculiarly, extremely detailed <laughs> knowledge of what? Sorry, dang it. I didn't mean to stop you. Extremely detailed knowledge of the Bumbles and what they're like and what, they're, what are their strengths and weaknesses, especially weaknesses. Yeah, he knows their stat sheet. <laughs> so he knows what's going to lure the Bumbles out of the cave. And, and that's Hermie pretending to be a pig. Yeah. And then dropping a rock and some snow on the Bumble's head. And then comes the next part, which, even though the Bumble was the bad guy, also seemed kind of horrific to me. Yeah, it makes Hermie the, Hermie the scariest creature in all of the North Pole for me. <laughs> because he, like, practices his dental skills by removing all of the monster's teeth. That, I need, like, a dark music. I, I need, like, a dark sting sound effect when he suddenly pulls out the giant pair of pliers. It's <laughs> yes. just like, tiny little elf. <laughs> it's like, okay, oh no. Really horrible. Because it, I'm just, I'm just, I'm astounded at the bumble there because Yukon's like, oh, don't worry, he's harmless now. He's out nothing without his chompers. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this creature can still stand. And he's just had all of his teeth removed without anesthetic by an amateur dentist. I'm terrified of it. <laughs> it's, how is it pacified and not so much more enraged? It's large enough to crush us all. What are you doing? I have a theory that I, I hesitate to say out loud only 
because of the remote chance that, I don't know, somebody in Hollywood will hear this and decide to make a prequel movie. But we also learn later on, skipping ahead a little bit, the Bumble turns out to be not so bad at all and wants to be friends with people. Yeah. Maybe the Bumble just had horrible dental pain. And he was angry and violent and unhappy and hated Christmas. Maybe he ate too much Christmas candy. Yeah, you get something. Yeah. And and the pain, once he got over the multiple extractions without anesthesia, the pain was gone and he could be happy. And he could say thank you to the dentist who removed his teeth. So maybe, even though that was not Hermes' motivation, he actually did something good for the abominable snow monster, and that is what helped everybody turn out better in the end. Possibly. <laughs> That's honestly the best answer, and it would explain that he his his annoyance at Christmas, if it is if it and its its sugary holiday treats are the source of his ca- cavity pain. And why he is so suddenly fet- friendly later on. Also, he apparently is scary enough that no one's gotten near him a while, so I mean, I don't know what his food sources are. I don't know. That's maybe a good question. maybe he didn't have much more, but then the candy decorating Christmas trees yeah. all throughout the winter wonderland that Sam Snowman is wandering around with his guitar. He seemed eager to eat some reindeer, and Yukon says that he they like pork. Now, how much of that is available in was the this, North Pole? I don't know. Was this Yukon's plan the entire time? Because after they pacify it, Yukon does kind of fist fight the bumble off the side of a cliff yeah he's like and tickles th- and the bumble and pushes him off a cliff right but then he shows up and he has tamed the bumble right of course we think yukon also has perished yes. falling off the cliff but he knew the the bumbles bounce he knows it likes pork and he was needing ham hocks <laughs> what does cornmeal <laughs> gunpowder and guitar strings help him do to create a bumble trap <laughs> was this his plan the entire time he is the evil genius yukon <laughs> pretending to be silly and instead he's trying to ca- to capture this giant creature of immense strength for his own use <laughs> this is the dark sci-fi channel twist on this show we need oh absolutely absolutely yes <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, there's uh, that's and that's another shocking thing is the apparent death of of Yukon Cornelius. Yeah, but who does come back later? Because as we say, bumbles bounce. Why do I always think that we get to see it bouncing though? I don't know. We never do. Yeah, do we? we don't see it bounce. But in my mind, I always like thought that he re- recovered immediately. That he fell, and then they just did the rose back up and pulled him <laughs> off of the cliff. It's like bumbles bounce. Like, it is such it a there. great image just to hear him say bumbles bounce that. We probably everyone who saw this immediately envisioned that. Oh yeah, and it becomes part of the visuals of the show, even though it never <laughs> appears. There's something very cellar door like in terms of perfect <laughs> words. There, bumbles bounce. <laughs> I feel like that needs to be put into our pre-podcast vocal warm-ups <laughs> yes. set now. <laughs> that's our that's our new plosive test. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, eventually the reindeer and Hermie all get back to Christmas Town, and it's decided, no, we will not brutally shun you anymore. Well, that's because uh, the giant winter storm that was uh, warned about 
it by uh, Sam Snowman in the beginning, before the rest of this movie was given in flashback, uh, is coming to to bear during this time. And Santa, in the middle of trying to give the announcement that he's canceling the Christmas delivery, only then realizes that Rudolph's nose is this powerful. That having grown up, he has obtained this level of lumen's strength <laughs> that he can cut through this winter storm and fog. And he's a good enough flyer, apparently, that he probably has the strength to help keep them guided in the middle of high force winds. So he's both a uh, you know, front light and gu- guidance. And he's apparently wandered around the entire area. He might be a better local wilderness tracker than anyone else who's lived in their city. Who knows? That's a good point. There are some cool maps here. I talked about wanting yes. a map of, of the North Pole and the Christmastown region. There are some cool things about the logistics of Santa Claus in the North Pole, where they've got this giant map. I don't know if it's of the world or of just North America, broken up into a lettered grid. And apparently there is a lot of planning and logistics involved in the Santa Claus operation. And he's got a, an elf meteorologist on duty to bring him weather reports. They don't have a dentist, but they've, but they've got, got, a, got meteorologist. a meteorologist. <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah, wait, what? Absolutely. This company town focuses on only the profits, I guess. Does Santa make profit? I'm confused. I don't think so, but I don't know. What in the world is going on here? A lot of questions about this operation. A lot of questions about this operation. But yeah, we finally get the <laughs> just the sequel to the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, where an IRS man finally makes it up there to check what's going on, because he does operate within the United States for some of the time. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's what happens when you get this confused. They they said we've got some medical staff on hand. We don't need an ER. And meanwhile, we're talking about elf relations. There's no one doing that. Yeah, there's no there's no human resources. There is, well, there's Mrs. Claus, who seems to try to be keeping everybody happy, but she's also promoting disordered eating on Santa Claus's part, because she's always complaining that he is too skinny and somehow manages to get him to, like, double his body weight in two days in time for Christmas. I'm terrified that she's there like, you've got to eat this. I can't eat this. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's the exact same material as the table. They didn't use different clay. I'm worried. Why is the food colored like that? Now I'm thinking of the, the cartoon about the, the, the gingerbread house and the gingerbread man. <laughs> he screams for is his house made of flesh or is he made of house? He does not know. I love that comic. But we do finally at the end get the, those key lines from the song. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? And that, of course, makes everything great, and Rudolph gets to lead the, the sled team, which has only six plus Rudolph in, did, when we see it. Did, did two reindeer get injured in the blizzard? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, goodness, they're down people. And, uh, and Hermie is allowed to open his dental office, and Bumbles has a job putting stars on top of Christmas trees. Yeah. Just get Bumble uh, doing a HGTV demo, like a, you know, decorating techniques for the rest of the movie. And we get dancing elves, which is just incredibly cute. It is. It's, it is so cute. I love the little elves, the little boy elves and girl elves. And knowing that they, they did offer help at the time, Rudolph apparently talks to Santa about the Island of Misfit Toys, because the first stop on their way out is gathering up the Misfit Toys to actually get them homes. Yes, they had promised Moonracer that they would uh, 
they would talk to Santa about the, the fact that these toys need homes, and they kept that promise. And we don't see Santa get told about this, or told where it is. So it's a little vague again whether or not Santa knew about its location ahead of time and hadn't done anything. I, I would like to think that he didn't. I'd like to think because so, Because Moonracer didn't say, well, can you remind him or see if he's going to do, do anything? anything? Yeah. It was, tell him about us. Yeah, tell him about us, and then he puts it on the map. But that means our ending credits is parachuting all of the, uh, the misfit toys to apparently their new homes with yes. Mary Poppins-style umbrella technique. Yeah, they, they all get umbrellas to parachute down, <laughs> except the bird. The bird that couldn't fly, it could swim. Oh no, what if we die? Yeah, we haven't talked about WKRP in Cincinnati yet on the podcast, no. but there is the famous turkey incident oh, oh no yes you're and that's right. what this made me think of yes oh no <laughs> yeah, but it's a bird is it a, oh dear <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's exactly what this is oh no but it's still uh, that notwithstanding it's a cute ending uh, we, we see all the misfit toys heading off to homes where they will be loved absolutely and that's rudolph the red-nosed reindeer a lot a, a really a really expansive and, and engaging story. Yeah. And a lot of really good messages in this. Now, not perfect messages. No. It was ahead of its time in some ways, and in other ways, I would criticize it today, saying that in the end, it's, well, the thing we shunned you for, we should not have shunned you for, because it turns out that you're useful. Yeah. That's not that you had inherent dignity and value because you're a living creature. But you're useful, so therefore we should have recognized your value earlier. But for the time when this was made, acknowledging that in other people, acknowledging that there are people who have that you know have other have issues that you can or cannot see, have yeah. differences you can or cannot see, they are all valuable to the society and should yes. be included is a huge thing. That is that is a message that I see modern things, modern people struggle with. Right. And here is this story that is apparently been so key to our, you know, American culture in this sense that it's assumed you've seen it. Yes. And yet people are still missing that message. And at least the misfit toys bring in some of that inherent value, inherent dignity principle. Exactly. And for kids, just conveying the message, don't be quick to judge someone because they're different. That's a simple enough message that can go a long way as the starting point of how to deal with others. So Absolutely. I, I think that's really valuable. I'm, I, I think it's an excellent story. I think this means we're heading towards our final questions. I think it is. This is kind of the point where we start looking at it as a whole there. So. Right. And before we get to those, if you want more of the Intermillennium Media Project podcast, please go to www.immproject.com. That's where you will find all of our back episodes, including our previous Christmas themes. That's also where you will find ways to support the podcast on our shop, if you like t-shirts and coffee mugs and things, and on our Patreon, which gets you even more audio content and the knowledge that you're helping support the podcast and giving me the ability to subject Ian to further 20th century media. You can also contact us at on the contact page there or on our Discord. Exactly. And Ian, where can people find you? I can be found online as item crafting, be that item crafting live on Twitch or itemcrafting.com. And how about you, Dad? And you can find me at bymatthewporter.com and also on YouTube as bymatthewporter, 
where you will find the Draft House Diary for reviews of newer movies and movie theaters. But this does bring us to some of our final questions. First, just in terms of the show overall, how do you think this holds up? Honestly, I think this holds up pretty well. It's its pace is frenetic at times, but I never felt like it was pushing too fast. It was just this is how this story goes. It is quintessential enough that it doesn't have to spend too long getting you into a location because you're already there. And the narration with uh, Snowman Sam there does a lot to help it flow and keep moving. Any time that the pace dips lower, he kind of springs up to say, you know, remind you that he's telling you this story in that sense and move to the next chapter. It's very effective. I agree. I think this holds up very well. And I think we should mention a little bit more about the music because there's a lot of music a in A lot this. of music. Not just the... The classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer song that is shows up in little pieces, but is the uh, the finale. But also some mu- new music that was created for this special. And by the way, the the new songs for this special were by Johnny Marks, who created the original Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer song. So they all fit together very well in a style. And When I first saw this when I was a kid, the musical numbers and cartoons, I usually tuned out for them, but not for this. For this, they seemed such a part of the story, and they were done so well, and they weren't drawn on too long. I think they were very effective, and I liked them in this special. And you've got performers like Burl Ives doing some of the music, so that's great. Mm -hmm. The music is great on that. The animation flows with it very well, and the style is... If If you're okay with stop motion, it's excellent for that even it's 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 not super detailed perfect it's really easy to get into though and you've got woodland critters singing backup how cool is that absolutely also apparently Hermie is a tenor yeah he's the the heart of their tenor section apparently apparently cool (laughs) hey well i think this is getting us around to our final questions i think so so screen or no screen i'd say screen it's a holiday classic i enjoy it screen even if it's going to be on in the background while you decorate a tree or or put up lights for whatever holidays you celebrate it's 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 worth seeing i'd say screen absolutely next part's interesting because as we kind of mentioned at the beginning there's a bunch more yeah so when we say are we gonna do we want this to be revived or rebooted or just to rest in peace uh, it has not really been allowed to rest in peace. No, it's been, it's been made to continue because just on the Rankin Bass special, there's the Rudolph's shiny new year, Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July, Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer and the Island misfit toys. That's the one where they shifted to 3d computer animation, Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer, the 4d attraction. <laughs> Which is apparently considered canon by somebody. <laughs> and Team Rudolph and the Reindeer Games. <laughs> I, and this is not even including the fact that thanks to that uh, Rudolph and Frosty, the Frosty the Snowman, Frosty's Winter Wonderland and Frosty Returns are considered part of the um, Rankin-Bass 
Holiday, oh, and Legend of Frosty the Snowman are all kind of merged in as part of the same thing. We're heading like a holiday version of what we did for the spooky Halloween season, where is this the Universal holiday series? <laughs> well, on this DVD, at least it is from Universal. Yeah. Is there a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer meets Abbott and Costello? No. Dang well, it. That's it the problem. It doesn't fit. quite fit then. <laughs> Would that be live action or would that be stop motion? Yes. <laughs> yes. Good answer. You know, I think stop motion Abbott and Costello would work better than live action Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Probably. Or quote unquote live action like in the Disney Lion King remake. Yeah. So I have to acknowledge all of those things. And I think I might have seen Rudolph's Shining New Year once, but it was never a big deal for me even when I was a kid. So it, it did not make an impression. Yeah, on that me. one's got the baby in the top hat. I think that for me, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the Rankin-Bass Christmas special, stands alone, does not need to be continued. We can imagine what's going to happen to these characters later on. We can see that they are finally getting a chance to at least attempt to have the life that they envision for themselves. So I would like to see it rest in peace. I, if anybody enjoys those sequels or things, great. I'm in, uh, I'm pleased for that. But for me, I want this to rest in peace. I'm with you. This should rest in peace. We had a lot of fun thinking side things for, <laughs> for Clarice, for Hermie, there, for Yukon. There's a lot of fun in the other characters. But as we find out, they've used Rudolph a bunch because he's the star. And they don't need to. And they don't need to anymore. <laughs> Rest in peace. And we're going to see more of Santa Claus, of course, as we go through more Rankin-Bass Christmas specials. Yes. And, but it's not the same Santa Claus as from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And I'm very glad that it's not, because the Santa Claus from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is kind of a jerk. Yeah. I don't really like this Santa Claus. He, he dismisses the elves' efforts to, to create songs in his honor. He immediately joins in with the shunning of Rudolph because he's different. I will say that I like the fashion sense of this Santa Claus. Yes. His casual fit when he's just hanging around the North Pole pre-Christmas. He's got this duffel coat and this deerstalker hat, and he's he just looks well put together. He does. And, and I was not joking earlier. Someone get me like a Swedish death metal band to cover Santa's first song again. <laughs> it would be amazing. You will hear my jingle bell. Like, I can imagine this. It would be amazing. I like it. Yes. But he's got some style. He's just not a good guy. Yeah. So we won't really revisit this Santa again. No. Next we get lanky Peter Panish Santa. Yeah, it's about right. Yeah. In the meantime, go find something new to watch. <laughs>